You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1118 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday. And thank you, as always, for making Locked on Hawks podcast your first listen each and every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Calm. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron James using Calm. Get a 40% discount off of a premium subscription. Go to calm.com slash locked on NBA. Today's podcast will be sort of a potpourri of sorts, uh, diving into the Hawks after 15 games. The Hawks are between games, of course. They played it back-to-back on Sunday and Monday, and then they're back on the floor on Wednesday. But in between games, it's a good time, sort of a round number, 15 games, check in on the team, how they've been playing so far, answer some mailbag questions, look ahead to the game on Wednesday against Boston, and uh, just kind of uh, check a lot of boxes on this particular episode. First, I want to plug the podcast, as I often do on the show, and appreciate the patience on that. But uh, it's been very, very busy thus far this season, you know, five, six episodes per week. I've already done a few this week as well, uh, both re- both game recaps as well as an emergency episode on the DeAndre Hunter injury, which we'll dive in even more to on this show, actually. But Tower Jones joined me last week for a lengthy episode. We've had guests, we've had breakdowns, and it's a great time to subscribe to the podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome aboard. I really appreciate all of the support that I've gotten, but leave five-star feedback. Subscriptions are great, and also just download up all the episodes, click, on, click, click around, uh, support the podcast, support the sponsors, however you possibly can. All right, we'll dive in now to some broad observations from the first 15 games of the season. Obviously, no one is thrilled that the Hawks are 6-9 and nine, uh, this season. Uh, clearly, they had expectations to be above that. There is some context that's worth diving into, but that is the broad strokes is that they've obviously been a little bit disappointing to this point. Now, they've won the last two games in a row. That's worth um, leaning into on a positive note. They're also 5-1 and one at home and 1-8 and eight on the road, so that split probably won't continue just uh, that much. Clearly, home court advantage matters to some degree, not quite to the same degree as 5-1 and one versus 1-8, and eight, but alas. Um, in fact, some of the context, you know, clearly we talked about this at the moment and even before the season started, but the Hawks currently have faced the second most difficult schedule in the NBA according to winning percentage by their opponents. Also, the fifth most difficult schedule by point differential. So if you go through the games this, thus far, it's not an excuse by any means. The Hawks have not played that well, but... They've had three games this season in which I would describe them as easy matchups out of 15, and that is Detroit, New Orleans, and Orlando on Monday. Um, The West Coast trip that they went on was obscenely difficult. Obviously, they lost them all, which is not what you want to see, but those games were all very difficult on the road. Plus, they played at Philly, at Brooklyn, home for Utah, and home for Milwaukee. Even the at Cleveland trip that they lost actually looks much tougher and more reasonable now because Cleveland's been playing pretty well this season. So, um, schedule is not a you know catch-all, but it is worth noting that against a quote-unquote regular schedule, the Hawks will probably have more victories than they do so, so far. And the bright side is that because they have played this difficult schedule, the remaining schedule is a lot easier for Atlanta. That does not guarantee anything by any means, but it's certainly not a negative thing that the Hawks would have a relatively easy schedule for the rest of the season. So, um It'll be interesting to see how they respond to this slow start. Clearly, the last two games have been sort of a positive in itself and that they have um, picked it up a little bit, particularly on offense and defense, really. Um, but that's a little bit of context at the, at the outset here. We'll dive into some numbers now, both into the floor. Um, offensively, it's been uh, not 
fantastic. It's not been terrible, but it's not been fantastic is the way that I would describe things. Um, on the margins, they last season they were number two in the league in free throw rate. Um, that's obviously sky high, and Trey Young was the biggest part of that, but it was not only Trey. This year they're 18th, and that's the biggest swing uh, in terms of the uh, points, uh, you know, point differentials and stuff, stuff like that from stats back and forth is that they have gotten to the line far less and for far less often, far less um, in terms of attempts, um, you know, ratios, all that stuff. It's definitely been something to circle moving forward. They're also taking far less threes than they were a year ago. They're 28th in the league and three-point attempt rate at 34.9% of their shots. That's a very low number. Obviously, 28th in the league is not what you want to see. I have been a vocal proponent of them taking more threes, and given that the Hawks have a roster full of shooters, other than Clint Capella, everyone on the team can shoot threes, and they don't have a ton of guys to put pressure on the rim, so the best way to sort of extract value is to take more threes, and the Hawks did a little bit better with that over the weekend on Sunday and Monday, but... Um, worth noting that not, they're not taking enough right now. They were only 19th last year in the same category, so it wasn't as like they were bombing a year ago, but that's obviously better than 28th where they are right now. Um, they're also taking 38.5% of their shots from the mid-range this year, which is the second highest figure in the NBA. Um, they're also top five, and when I say top five, I mean top five in terms of frequency um, in Florida range and long mid-range, so they've been kind of equal opportunity taking probably too many shots away from the rim that are also not threes, and only 29% of their shots have been at the rim this season, a bottom five figure. So dating back to the early part of the season, I talked about you know shot locations and shot profiles. Uh, the Hawks still for 15 games have not been what you would want in terms of actual you know shot locations, basically. Um, effective field goal percentage, all that stuff. Like, you know, there's some interesting uh, ways to track that you know, location, effective field goal percentage, etc. But I'll just say this the Hawks need to take better shots from better areas, and they have been better recently, but that's the uh, 15 game checkup on that. It doesn't explain all of it, but they're also shooting poorly at the rim 60% at the rim, down from about 64% last year. They're shooting a comparable percentage on floater range attempts. A lot of those are Trey and John, but only four, actually 4% 4 worse on long twos as well. So there's some positive regression coming no matter what. Even if the Hawks were to take the shots that they're taking right now, I believe in the long run they'll make more of them than they have so far. But um, generally speaking, the offense is down in the NBA this year. Um, the Hawks are actually averaging about five points fewer, five points fewer per 100 possessions this year. And that is definitely... Worse in terms of their overall ranking, but the league is way down as well. Um, and also the half court's been worse. The Hawks are shooting, uh, Hawks are scoring, I should say, about 94 points per 100 possessions in the half court. Last year is about 99. So all the numbers across the board are down. No surprises there. Um, there is context with the opponents, but um, worth pointing all that out. And then defensively, before we move on, um, defensively, the Hawks are also not playing all that well. Clearly, they're actually playing worse on defense than they are on offense. They're 27th in the league right now in defensive rating. They were 17th last year cleaning the glass, so middle of the pack this year, they're bottom five. It is worth noting that the points per possession that the Hawks are actually allowing is almost flat from last year to this year, but the rest of the league is also down, so the Hawks should have been down as well, you would think, if you factor in uh, you know, sort of overall league trends. They're also 27th in the league in half-court defense so far after being 12th last season. And generally speaking, the biggest drop-off is their effective field goal percentage allowed. Um, teams are just making more shots against them. And particularly, uh, they're allowing too many threes right now. Opponents are taking 41% of their shots from three. That's the third highest mark in the league. And generally, that is bad. You do not want to allow three-pointers in the modern NBA because teams are good enough to make them if they're going to try to take them. And also... 
They've done better at limiting paid attempts, but they're actually dead last right now. Yes, I want to say this again. They are dead last in the NBA in percentage allowed at the rim at 69.9%. Um, part of that is Capella not being his best. Part of that is point of attack defense has not been very good this year. But uh, that's going to have to change. I think it will. But um, if you want to circle one note on the defense this year, it's that they have not been able to stop anybody around the rim, and they're also allowing too many threes. That's a bad combination, clearly. Um, there is some on-off stuff quickly as well before we move on. Um, I will say, you know, this is all very, very early stuff, so on-off splits can be a little bit overstated. But basically, there is one guy with great on-off splits, and there's one guy with terrible on-off splits. Everybody else is kind of in the middle. There's some nuance there, and you know, some of the some of the deep bench guys like DeLon Wright and Solomon Hill have great off splits in small sample sizes. But of the guys who've been playing the rotation all year long, it's John Collins on the high side. The Hawks are actually plus 2.4 net rating when he plays and minus 7.2 when he sits. Um, the offense is created without him this season in particular. And then the other end of that is Cam Reddish. The Hawks are actually minus 7.1 with Cam on the floor and plus 4.7 when he's off the floor. Again, it's too early to really take too much into account there, but it does explain that the Hawks have been very good when John plays and not so good when Cam plays. Um, guys like Bogdanovich, Hunter, who's now hurt, of course, and, and um uh, and other guys have negative splits too. Uh, Capella has a negative split, for instance, um, but not that not as drastic as Reddish. And then offensively, you know, as usual, but still worth noting, the offense craters without Trey Young. They're scoring about 16 points per 100 possessions less when Trey leaves the court. Now defense has been better, so it sort of levels that out a little bit. But that's worth pointing out. And I think really the core of the roster right now, in terms of like the guys who will play the most and who are the best players, um, Trey Young, John Collins, Clint Capella. Those three guys are actually good together this year. Even with the Hawks under 500, they're actually plus 3.4 per 100 possessions when those three guys play. Now, that's not like lighting the world on fire, but they have been good when their good players are on the floor. And the Wings have been struggling, as we talked about a lot on this podcast. Last thing on the lineup data, um, in fact, the starters right now with Herder in place of Hunter have been great for two years. Um, it's very, very, very small samples, but this year... The starting lineup of Young, Herder, Bogdanovich, Collins, and Capella is plus 24 in 52 minutes. Last year, the same group was plus 54 in 112 minutes. So, very small sample sizes, but that starting lineup has been functional in the past. Um, we have more to get into about the team through 15 games thus far, as well as some mailbag questions. But before we get into any of that, a word from our sponsors on today's show, and the first of which is Calm. When it comes to athletes, we tend to focus on the physical fitness aspect, but there's another side of the equation that's just as important, and that is mental fitness. Calm is the number one app for sleep and meditation, and Calm has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind and become the champion version of yourself. LeBron and Calm both know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body, but you do not have to be a world champion to learn how to train it. Anybody can do it, and they can do it with Calm. Calm can help you train your brain to sleep, help you sleep better, reduce your stress, and perform at your best, just like LeBron James. And for LeBron and many others, sleep is a critical part of the mental fitness routine. So if you head to calm.com slash LockedOnNBA, that is calm.com slash LockedOnNBA for a limited time, you'll get 40% off a Calm premium subscription. With Calm, you have access to the nature scenes LeBron loves, like rain or leaves, and so much more, like sleep stories, meditations, and much more. You can be ready to challenge anything that life has to throw your way. Again, for a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron and many others in joining and using Calm and getting a 40% discount and a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash LockedOnNBA. Unlock the content that can help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash LockedOnNBA. One more time, that is calm.com slash LockedOnNBA. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Bill Bar. 
I love Thanksgiving, all the good food and treats, and plenty of them, but maybe you want a yummy dessert that isn't so full of calories and sugar. And with that said, it's the perfect time for Built Bar. Built Bar is the new holiday dessert. This is something that's totally delicious. You feel good about it. One slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories. That might even be on the low end. But most Built Bars have only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with plenty of protein. Replace the coconut cream pie with coconut Built Bar. Go for a raspberry Built Bar instead of that raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie, and they're low-calorie, low-carb, low-fat, high-protein, and covered in 100% chocolate. Built Bar is a great option for when you're hungry. If Thanksgiving isn't coming soon enough, go for a Built Bar or two. Share some of your family gatherings. It'll make even things less awkward. Maybe Aunt Betty hasn't tried a Built Bar yet. We'll have new surprises all month. Limited time flavors arriving at Built.com regularly, so check out the site often. There's nothing like a Built Bar Black Friday. Mark your calendar. Black Friday will be a huge event with all sorts of surprises. And for now, you can go to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCK15, 15% off in your next order with Built Bar. Use promo code LOCK15, 50% off at Built.com. All right, before we dive into the mailbag, a couple of projection systems to round up at this point in time. Again, it's very, very early, and there is a lot of noise in these. But preseason, the Hawks over-under was about 47.5, 48. By the time the season actually started, it was bet up from there. The systems were kind of a little bit higher on the Hawks generally. I picked the Hawks for 49, 50 wins, something like that. And um, they're, they're below that now in their projection systems, um, one of which... It's 538's Raptor actually has the Hawks at 45 and 37. That's the highest one that I was able to find because that one is more player-based in nature, which means it does not take into account too many of the results so far. It's kind of just pitting your actual talent um, versus the other teams and your schedule. Basketball reference is 39 and 43 projection right now. It's obviously quite low. Um, team rank is 42 and 40. 538's ELO projection is more results-based, and that's actually down to 43 and 39. Um, I got a couple of other questions about this, actually. I'm not going to attribute it to any single person, but in the last week or two, I've gotten a lot of questions about like whether I would basically want to revise my projection on the Hawks this year in terms of their wins. Um, I'll say this, uh, sort of the mailbag section. Um, my answer would be yes, but not by a ton. I think if you maybe choose a win total, it'd be lower than what I had preseason just because they have banked nine losses. Um, you know, it's just harder to win 49, 50 games when you start six and nine and actually started four and nine. Um, at the same time, the Hawks are still capable of winning 50 games. That's not off the table at this point. Like if they had started, if they had started, you know, three and 12, it would have been a little bit more hard, a little more difficult. But, um, you know, I think just practically speaking, they lost a couple games that you would have liked them to win. Um, the schedule is brutal, but you don't want to lose all of those games on the road trip. That's kind of one of those things, too. Like in preview that, that road trip, I was kind of saying, look, go out and get, you know, go two and three, uh, you know, against these great teams. Instead, they got swept. And that obviously hurt your projection just a little bit. So um, overall, I still would have. A projection that is more in line with 538 Raptor than the rest of these. I'd be pretty surprised still if the Hawks did not make the playoffs, if the Hawks did not win in the mid to high 40s, etc. But for now, I can at least understand. I want to just point out that you know it's kind of just a math thing. Like when the season is you know one sixth or you know one fifth over at this point in time, to be six six and nine is going to negatively negatively affect your projections. That's kind of just the the raw math that is in play. Um, elsewhere in the mailbag. A question from G. Alejandro, who asked, do you think that the Hawks are asking too much of DeAndre Hunter? I ask that because when you think about it, for the better part of three seasons, he's been guarding the number one wing or guard on almost every single night. And in his opinion, that could be contributing to the constant Knicks on the injury side. Um, one thing I will say, I sort of referenced this on the, on the, on the emergency podcast, but um, I think DeAndre Hunter's injury history is not as messed up as people think that it seemingly is. Like a lot of feedback that I saw, maybe it's just frustration, 
is, you know, Hunter is made of glass and Hunter is injury prone and all this stuff. And he's had some injuries to be sure, but I think it's far too early to just declare him injury prone because of the context involved. Dating back to college, he played 33 games his first season in college. He did break his wrist in the ACC tournament um, and missed the play and missed the postseason in that, in that year, but he was generally healthy and that was kind of a fluke thing. It wasn't like it was a muscle injury or a knee injury, something like that. It was a broken wrist. Um, on, by the way, that was his left wrist, which is not the wrist that he's hurt, that's hurt right now. And then he played the entire season when they won the championship at Virginia in his last season in college. And then as a rookie, he played 63 out of 67 games. Um, he played the second most minutes on the entire Hawks roster as a rookie, and he led the entire draft class in minutes played. So that was a full NBA season in which he basically didn't get injured at all. Last year, he had the knee thing. That's obviously a concern. And if this was an injury to his knee right now that we're talking about, I would understand some of the skepticism a little bit more. But this is a weird wrist tendon injury that Jeff Stotts, who's a renowned injury expert, kind of described as being very rare and maybe even kind of fluky. So yes, is it great that he's had three injuries already in his um, in his career in terms of college, two wrist injuries and a knee injury? No, it's not. But I think that it's a little bit overstated that he's like you know going to be broken now forever. Um, it's just one of those things where yes, it's possible that he could be injury injury leaning, but we don't really know that at this point in time, and it's not like it's a chronic situation where it's one thing. Getting that out of the way, answer answer the question even more. I think honestly, in terms of the role he's been playing, he's been playing the role that he was drafted to play. At the moment, he's still better on defense than offense, and he's their best on ball defensive player um, against perimeter guys. So. You know, I, I get that it's probably more taxing, but I wouldn't treat him any differently because of the injury so far. He's still a young guy. And generally, they drafted him to be the guy that they're using him as. They, they drafted him not for his offensive upside, but for his ability to be 6'8 and play defense. And yes, they like his offense too, but part of the theory of drafting both Hunter and Reddish was to build around Troy Young and kind of give you some, some physicality, some defense on the wing, all that stuff. So um, I would not worry too much. I think that Hunter is the best one-on-one defender, as I said before. I think you know Cam's a better playmaker and like a better ball hawk, you know, defensive creator in a lot of ways. But the appeal on Hunter, really, the number one appeal in my mind as a prospect, even was his ability to guard one through four basically in the NBA, while also having some offensive utility. I guess at some point, if he still has injuries down the line, maybe you got to kind of pull back on him. But I think for now, you have to kind of just give um, the normal assignments to him defensively when he's back. And, um, and I think, honestly, if you're starting to limit him defensively, he becomes less valuable as a prospect and as a player. So uh, too early for all that, but I think that's um, – I, mean, I guess it's possible that contributes to it, but you have to kind of deploy him in the way that you want to deploy him and that maximizes his value. Uh, the other one that I wanted to answer here before we get to uh, some stuff about the Celtics game – is uh, I got I got asked a lot in the last day or two if the Hawks are better without Hunter. Um, the answer is I don't think they are. Um, I get a lot of the noise, and honestly, you know, the noise being that they just played very well in the last two games offensively. And I will say it is possible that the Hawks are better on offense right now today without Hunter than they were with him with the way he was playing. And that last thing is important with the way he was playing because he was struggling on offense. Um, you know, the, the lineup data is is what it is. And it is worth noting that Hunter's only been a notably positive offensive player for that one stretch in his career, really, uh, early last year. So, you know, again, the, the offense is more free-flowing. I think they've had success with Hunter and Magdanovich. All of that is definitely true. I think Hunter has some issues with his, with his shot selection right now. He takes too many, too many mid-rangers this, this year in particular. Not like, you know, he's kind of a ball stopper at some times offensively. So I'm not going to tell you that their offense couldn't be better without him right now 
especially if they're going to play Herder more often and Reddish uh, and, uh, and Bogdanovich more often, I should say. But I think overall, they're not better without him. Um, for one, he's their best defender on the wing. And also, I believe he'll be better on offense than he's been so far this season. And the other thing is, you have to replace his minutes. So I can give you a very, very long answer on this, and I won't do that today. But um, he's playing, you know, 30-ish minutes a game in, for the last couple of seasons. And I think, yes, um, playing more Herder is probably a good thing. And I think that Nate did a good job with the rotation the last couple of games. But you still have to play some minutes with guys like, you know, more for Reddish, who struggled this year, uh, more for Lou, more for Solomon Hill, more for TLC, DeLon Wright, etc., and those guys are just not as good as DeAndre Hunter. And that's kind of the that's a very simplified reality, but it's also the reality. So it is certainly possible to me as a short answer that the Hawks could benefit from this time to kind of reorganize their offense and maybe um, sort of mess with the rotation a little bit as they have and kind of overhaul things, get Hunter more playing time, get Bogdanovich more comfortable, etc. That could benefit them, to be sure. But I think just saying that they're better without DeAndre Hunter would, would not be accurate, in my opinion. So there is nuance for sure. And listen, he has to be better on offense when he comes back. Um, he was not playing a good style, and he wasn't being efficient. Like He made a bunch of threes early on, but he was not passing the ball well. He was not moving the ball well. The ball was stopping with him. That is all accurate. I just think that he's going to be better offensively than he was then. And also, again, you can't just ignore the defensive drop-off because there are still minutes that they have to play, and those minutes are going to be going into worse players than DeAndre Hunter, um, at least while he is out. Um, hopefully that answers the question, and we'll have much, much more, of course, in the coming days. But before we get to the rest of the podcast and look ahead to the Celtics game on Wednesday, a word from our sponsors on the show, and the first of which is BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of the basketball season and much more in terms of props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the basketball football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's 50% on your first deposit with BetOnline.ag if you use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive that bonus. For basketball, football, baseball, postseason stuff, NHL, boxing, UFC, tennis, golf, favorite casino games, and much, much more. Do not wait to take advantage of any of the amazing offers available to you this season because everything that you could want and much, much more is at betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. And before we get to the last thing on the agenda, which is the Celtics game on Wednesday, I do want to thank everybody for submitting mailbag questions. Uh, not, not only have I not had to put out a full-on mailbag call in a while, um, it's been just refreshing to have questions and answers. And I like to answer stuff on Twitter in short form as well, but I saved some things for the podcast. I have some more coming in the coming days whenever I uh, need to do that about Jalen Johnson and about the NBA draft and all kinds of questions. So if you have any, please keep firing them away at me at BT Roland on Twitter or at Locked on Hawks on Twitter or Locked on Hawks at gmail.com. If it's a longer form question, we check that email box whenever possible. And I really appreciate all of that. All right, the Hawks return to action. On Wednesday against the Boston Celtics at home it is their third straight home game, and the Hawks, of course, are at home all week. In fact, looking ahead briefly after that, the Hawks have a two-day break without travel for the first time all season. The Hawks have only had one instance the entire season since it started about a month ago in which they actually had two days without a game, but they that was in the middle of that, re, of that West Coast trip, so they actually had to travel to Denver, which knocks out a whole day. This time around, they, have, they play Wednesday, and then they have Thursday and Friday with no travel, and I assume they'll have a, their first like full practice of the season, probably. You know, they do practice, quote unquote, at times when they're allowed to, or at least when they're able to, I should say, um, in between games, but you know, non non back to backs. But it's definitely lighter practice. There's some live work sometimes at practices, but 
if you're not familiar with this, NBA teams do not like to have full-on like two-hour practices unless they have the time and the schedule to do that. And for the first time all year, they might actually have time to do that later this week. At any rate, the Hawks pl- must play a game before that, so we'll go, we'll go there now. Um, injury report is out as I'm recording this on Tuesday night. The Hawks will be without Hunter and Okongwu, obviously, for a little while on both counts. Uh, and they uh, actually have their both of their starting wings from Monday night's game are questionable to play. Bogdanovich is questionable again with the right ankle soreness. Talked about that a little bit last night on the show. But he's been on the injury report now for like two and a half, three weeks with that same issue. So at the very least, it is bothering him enough to still be you know questionable pretty repeatedly. He's played other than one game, but it's something that's definitely at least a mild concern for me at this point in time. And then Herter left the game with the left hamstring tightness on Monday. He's still on the injury report with that for the game on Wednesday. He's questionable, and we'll see. Um, if either of them cannot play, um, they have to go deeper into the bench, obviously. And that was one of the things about the Hunter injury is that in addition to you know being worse about him in terms of just having that top-end talent, um, it also lessens your margin for error if you get more injuries. And with Bogey and, and Herter already banged up, if you're missing one of them, yes, you can play Cam Reddish for 30 minutes, but you, then you have to go deeper into the bench with like TLC or Solomon Hill or Lou Williams or whatever. So uh, the margin for error is smaller, to be sure. And I do trust um, TLC as a potential rotation player. I know he's not played a lot this year, but he's had, at least he's been capable in the past. Solomon Hill, I know I'm higher on the most. But at the same time, those guys are not exactly proven track record in terms of the you know, contributions to this current iteration of the Hawks. So... Um, keep an eye on that, obviously. If either of them are unable to play, that definitely lessens the Hawks' cha- the Hawks' chances of winning, but they are favored in this game, which we'll get to in a second. Um, on Boston's side, Jalen Brown is out. That's a huge loss. He's their top, you know, he's a top two player for them, along with, J- along with Jason Tatum. And Robert Williams, their um, best big man right now, is actually questionable for Boston. Uh, Brown's been out for two weeks, so no surprise there, but Williams has been playing... And uh, it's early, but the Celtics have been way, way better when he plays. They're actually plus 8 net rating when he plays and minus 8 net rating when he sits. That's a huge split, so uh, that's a little bit of noise, I'm sure. But Williams is a good player, and that would be a huge loss for them. So three guys who are projected starters in this game are questionable. Two for the Hawks and one for the Celtics. And then, of course, the biggest injury is Jalen Brown, who is out for Boston. Um Boston 7-7 on the season. They've won the last three out of the four games, though, so they're playing better at this moment than they were a few weeks ago. Um, defensively, they're pretty good. Top 10 in the league right now. Um, they have good talent on the end of the floor. Marcus Smart, um, Tatum is usually pretty decent on defense. Um, Al Horford, old friend, is playing good defense for Boston this year, etc. They have some decent talent on the end of the floor. Grant Williams, etc. Um, they're good at keeping people off the, off the free throw line, which has, of course, been a, Haw- a Hawks, I don't want to say weakness, but not the huge strength that it usually is this season. And then they're also good on the defensive glass and linear transition. So that's something to keep an eye on in this spot for the Hawks, who definitely rely on the offensive glass a little bit offensively. But Boston is 24th in offense this year. So it'll kind of be a battle between units that are struggling. The Hawks are 27th in defense, <laughs> and Boston's 24th in offense. So we'll see who does better on that end of the floor. Um, our friends about online actually have the Hawks as a four-point favorite right now as of Tuesday evening as I record this. That could go up. I think if Williams were to miss and the Wings were to play for the Hawks, if it flips, though, and the Hawks are missing one or even both of those Wings and Boston has Williams, it could be more narrow. So I said the other day that I thought the Hawks might be favored in their next six games, and I'd be surprised if the Hawks weren't favored, barring another injury that's uh, not in the injury report in this contest. I think the Hawks are better than the Celtics overall, 
and then especially so without Jalen Brown. Yes, the Hawks are without Hunter, but Brown is a lot better than Hunter and a lot more important than Hunter to Boston's fairing right now. So I think all things equal, even at full health, I would lean Atlanta in this matchup. You take out Jalen Brown, and I, I would say even more so for the Hawks um, on paper. Some projections here before we get out of here. Sportsline, where I do some work, uh, just to be candid, um, has the Hawks actually as a 11-point um, margin in terms of their projection. Um, 538 team rankings are actually more in line with the with the Vegas point spread right now at four. So everyone, or at least every system that I've seen, has the Hawks' favor in the game. We'll see. Um, but if they can win that one, they'll win three in a row. And then actually the schedule is not too bad for the Hawks after that, as I got into early on. Just as a spoiler alert, the game on Saturday is Charlotte at home, which is very, very winnable. And then they play Oklahoma City on Monday at home. So not too bad. If the Hawks can win those three games, they'll be 500 again, and they'll be favored to win all three. So not to get ahead of yourself, I don't want to project anything too crazy, but the Hawks could find themselves back to level in just a few days if they were to take care of business in this spot. So we'll have full coverage of the game between the Hawks and the Celtics after the game on Wednesday. I'll be in the building for that one. It's a home game, so lots of lots of context and lots of stuff to get to on the show. Hopefully, uh, I got uh, you know a lot, of, a lot of information, a lot of information coming to you on this podcast today. A lot of uh, fast and furious numbers and things. If you have questions, I am open to answering them at BT Roland. But please, please, please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell your friends about the show. Check us out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, Odyssey, wherever you enjoy podcasts. We should be there. If we're not there, let me know that. I'll fix that in a hurry. And uh, again, thank you for listening to the podcast, and we'll see you after the game on Wednesday.